Well, today we are back in the letter of 1 John. Uh, if you remember from about a month, ago, month or so ago, or even uh, just talked a little bit about last week, but one of the main themes that John has, both in the Gospel of John and in this letter of 1 John, is the theme of love. That's probably the, one of the central things that he keeps coming back to again and again is the theme of love. And uh, love is a big deal to us humans. If you've noticed, uh, we write books about it. Uh, we recite poetry over it. We make movies about love. But have you noticed that oftentimes things we write about love is really not our best work? Uh, for example, uh, in the U.S. anyways and in Canada, uh, we have a, a, a set of novels called Harlequin Romances. These things are hardly the high point of literature. You know, they, and even the authors admit it. The authors often write under uh, a pseudonym because they don't even want to be attached to it. You know, they know that people like to read it, but they don't want to be attached to it because it's not our, our best work. Uh, if you ever, and even, even love stories that are part of literature like uh, Romeo and Juliet from William Shakespeare, you know, at the end they all die. Uh, so it's, it's the way we express love tends to be a little bit, uh, a little bit twisted. If you, if you go online and you, and you Google worst movies ever made, uh, you'll often get these come up. Uh, these are two romantic comedies, and, and uh, I haven't seen either one. And uh, after you know, reading the reviews and just how the scathing uh, uh, critics uh, attacks on these, I don't really see any reason to. And even our songs, the love songs, sometimes the lust songs that fill our airwaves, uh, very often kind of have a, a twisted view of love. Uh, a big song that came out in the 80s when I was in high school and still is played today is uh, one by the police called Every Breath You Take. And I've even heard it at weddings, Every Breath You Take. And, and if you're familiar with the song, it kind of has this upbeat beginning, you know, every breath you take, yeah, that sounds great. Every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Every single day and every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. Can't you see? You belong to me. Yeah, it's a stalker song. And to be fair, the guy that wrote it, Gordon Sumner, who's also known as Sting, he hates this song. He, he says it's one of the darkest songs he ever wrote, and it drives him crazy that everyone thinks it's this happy, happy love song. It's a stalker song. But why do we love the idea of love and yet get it so wrong all the time, it seems? Well, it's a question that affects the church pretty deeply because... Sad to say, but divorce among Christians is really not any better than divorce among people who are not Christians. Conflict in churches is a common thing. And it's important to understand it because how we relate to God and how we relate to each other is deeply affected by how we understand the concept of love. And the Apostle John, as we've been going through this letter of 1 John, he sees that the solution to sin, if you remember from a, about a month or so back, maybe six weeks back, the solution to the sins that are devastating the church at the time that he's writing and the poor theology and all the weirdness that's going on, he believes the solution to it is love. However, 
It has to be a love which is defined the way that the scripture defines it, the way God defines it, not the way we're inclined to define love. And in a nutshell, the way love is defined in the scripture, the way God's love is defined, is not defined by selfishness, which tends to be how we define love. How does it make me feel? How is it about me? But instead, it's about sacrifice. John says this in 1 John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16, not the Gospel of John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So as we go continue into the letter of 1 John today, in chapter 4, which we're in, he revisits this concept of love, but he dives deeply into it. And he dives deeply into the concept of love and he couples that with the concept of living in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. Because these two things have to go together if, the, if we're going to express love in the way that God defines love. We cannot express love in the way that God defines love without his Holy Spirit. And with his Holy Spirit, we have to be willing to set aside our own preconceptions about love which has always been a difficult thing for our society to do. We are always trying to redefine love in a way that's other than God. And we're in the middle of it right now, too, with this whole redefinition of, of what it means to be in relationship and who we are and all that stuff. So we're going to look at how God defines love and also how that affects our eternal life. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, we are in 1 John, the letter of 1 John. Chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 7. And he says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And, we also, and, we, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. I've, I've mentioned before I find John's, the way he writes and his economy of words to be interesting because he says a lot. But he, you, you often see that he'll come back to the same even word phrasing things over and over again because this is a point he's trying to make. And he starts out this, this little section talking to the dear friends by basically addressing the question that on a lot of people's minds who grow in their faith or are walking in their faith of how do I know I'm saved? How do I know that I'm in a saving relationship with God? How do I know that? And the way that he answers that is he says, well, if you love like God, then that love has to have come from God. You can't on your own kind of manufacture or make up the love that is from God and then express it to others. And it's important to understand here how he defines love. Love in the Greek, and you've probably heard this before, but there's several different terms in the Greek that all get translated as love in uh, a lot of our English translations. Uh, there's a, a love that's called agape love, which is what he's talking about here. This is sort of a, it's kind of the short term, shorthand term for it is it's unconditional love. It's Really what it is, is extremely unselfish love. It's a love that's willing to give of itself without expecting something back. It's not, it's not unconditional in the sense that, that there's no feeling put into it, but it's a love that, that you're willing to give without necessarily receiving back. Kind of like the way a parent will love a, a baby, you know, and will take care of the child without expecting to re have that reciprocal kind of care coming back because the baby just isn't capable of it. So we love this baby without expecting the baby to be able to reciprocate that back. It's very similar to God's love when he says, you know, the way he defines love isn't that we loved God, but that God loved us. He gave that to us before we were even capable of giving it back. There's other ways love is, there's other words for love. Phileo is often in the Bible. Phileo is kind of a brotherly love. It's more that person-to-person -person type love. The city of Philadelphia in the U.S. is called the city of brotherly love because Phileo is in the name, Philadelphia. Uh, there's uh, Eros love, which is kind of a, just sort of like the way you like, maybe you love that song or I love pizza or I love this. And then there's pornea, which is kind of an erotic love. That's Eros and pornea are never actually used in the Bible. Phileo and agape are the two main loves. And agape, this unconditional kind of love that is given from the one who has the power to love to the ones that don't is really what he's talking about here. And this is why it's important. He says, this kind of love comes only from God. But if this love is in our lives, it's an indication of our salvation. And this is what he's talking about. If this kind of love, which we don't really have the capacity to have for others, we, we can have it for certain things. Like I said, it's similar to what we might have for a child, but it's very often our own child. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, before I had children, uh, we would often, Cindy and I would babysit uh, families that had kids. And uh, that would pretty much do me for wanting to have kids for about another six months, you know. Uh, being around other people's kids, the demands, all the stuff that you had to do, especially when they're babies and all that. You know, they smell, they're noisy and all that. But when I had my own kids, there was like this well of love that I didn't even know existed. And it like went down in it, tapped into that reservoir. And I loved these kids. They were my kids. And, I, and, and, and even in my humanness, that's kind of selfish, right? I love them because they're mine. 
So it's very hard for us to kind of get our minds around, you know, this kind of love that God has, which is completely unselfish. He loves us because he is our father. He is our creator in that. And this kind of love being displayed within our own lives is an indicator of salvation. That's what he says. Dear friends, let us love one another. Agape love, unconditional. For love comes from God. So this kind of love is a God love. And everyone who loves in this way is born of God. It's the only way you have it. And knows God. And whoever does not love in this manner doesn't know God. Why? Because this is his very essence. This is his very character. God is love. And this phrase, God is love, is a widely abused phrase uh, throughout history and throughout the world. And right now, everyone just kind of says, any kind of love is from God because God is love. And that could be eros love, pornea. It can be phileo. It can be agape, any kind of love. And that is not what John is saying. That is not what the scripture ever says. Except in one place when Jesus and Peter are at the end of the gospel of John, Jesus will ask Peter, do you love me unconditionally, agape? And Peter keeps responding. Remember, this is after Peter had denied Christ and all that. He's humbled and he often will say, Lord, you know I love you as a brother, phileo. And you don't catch that in the translation sometimes, that Jesus keeps coming up, do you love me unconditionally, Peter? And Peter's like, I love you like a brother. And finally, Jesus comes down to Peter's level. Will you love me like a brother? And it says, Peter wept. He says, you know all things. It's a pretty touching part of Scripture. But most of the time when it talks about the love of God, it's talking about this agape love, which is nothing like we see in the world being offered through, through movies, through books, through even songs that are of the world. So it's not saying nice people in the world are characterized as loving. We're not talking about nice people. We're not talking about how we define love. We're not talking about how it makes us feel. This is not love as the Bible defines it. God, G, John is saying very clearly here, he's speaking of a divine love which comes from God. And it's a love which God defines because it is the very nature, his very nature and his character. And to emphasize this point, John says, and we already looked at this passage in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And in chapter 4 here, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then he defines it again. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atonement, you can kind of break it down. It means to come back together, to be made at one. Atone, at one meant. The atoning sacrifice, to reestablish the relationship between God and broken humanity. And so how, in general, how I can say, how is love defined? Well, love is defined in the life of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how God loves then read the Gospels. Read what Jesus did. Read how Jesus relates to people. That is how God loves. Jesus' life is the model of God's love. This is why it's important, especially to the Gospel writer John, that it's clear to us that we understand who Jesus is. He is the Word of God made flesh. He's the very expression of God made flesh dwelling among us. You want to see how God loves? Read the Gospels. You want to see how God, what makes God angry? 
read the Gospels. You want to see what God's priorities are? Read the Gospels. When you see how Jesus responds to people, to situations, to things going on around him, you see the very character and nature of God being expressed in a way that we can relate to. This is why the Apostle John is always pointing out, no, no one has seen, when he says no one has seen God, he means no one has seen the Father. And of course, he's kind of using very often in Middle Eastern or Eastern language kind of this hyperbole. You can say, well, what about Moses? What about the prophets? You know, did they see God? John is saying no one has really seen God in its fullness. And very often we don't see God. I've never seen God personally. Maybe some of you have had a vision of God. I haven't. But John is saying, but if, but if we can't, deal with the people who are right in front of us that we see, who are our brothers and sisters in the faith, if we can't love them and relate to them, then we're, we're just kind of fooling ourselves if we think that somehow we are within the will a character of God. And so he makes that point. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we so ought to love one another. You know, Jesus told Philip one time, one of the disciples, Philip says something that says, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And it's this interesting passage. And again, it's in the Gospel of John, because this is really where John is at. Who is Jesus? And Jesus responds to Philip by saying, Philip, after all these years, don't you know that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And now Jesus isn't saying he is the Father, and we've had this discussion several times. But what he is saying is when you see me, you've seen the very nature and character of God. You've seen how the Father is. And in a very similar way, the expectation now is that when you see a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you have seen Christ. And you go, whoa, that's saying a lot. It is saying a lot. That's exactly what he says. Look what he says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now, we're not the incarnation of Christ in the same way that Christ was the incarnation of the Father. But we have that Holy Spirit within us. And this is why it's important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Last week, the apostle, we looked at the, the scriptures here out of 1 John. He talks a lot about testing the spirits. And the reason why he talks about testing the spirit is because it is a supernatural thing to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible talks about this relationship between our soul, if you will, and, and the character and nature of God, the Holy Spirit, in lots of different ways. It talks about it like being born again. The old self dies, the new self is born again. It talks about it as living in Christ. He, talk, he uses that phrase uh, here, you know, if we, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's talked about in the scripture, you have the... the Death to self and alive in Christ. The Apostle Paul, for example, says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This idea of setting aside our selfishness and our definitions of what love should be so that the Holy Spirit of God can indwell us and express himself through us into the world, which then makes us the salt of the earth, a light unto the world. This only takes place in our relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the whole point he's making here in regards to salvation. Salvation isn't about doing a certain number of good works or following a certain number of plan, uh, planned actions. It's to be a life which is characterized by the character of Jesus. 
And if our life is characterized by Jesus' life, by his model, by his character, by his spirit, then we will do as he did. We will love as he loved. And this is why the scripture says it's by grace we've been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. But then it follows that up by saying, but we are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ. You know, we don't do good works to attain our salvation. But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, his character will flow into the world around us. And we will affect the world in a way, we're supposed to anyway, similar to what Christ did, which is why we are called Christians, which means little Christs. It was actually a word that was meant to, to make fun of the Christians in Antioch. Oh, there are a bunch of little Christs running around. And the Christians heard that and went, ah, I like that. We'll, we'll take that and call ourselves this. This is what we are to be, little Christs. And this love of God then, allows us then to, to live in a place without fear. And so look, he says this. He says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he gave us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in him. It's important to understand that, that from a Western mindset, sometimes we separate what we know and what, we've, what we actually do in two different categories. And in the mindset that this is written, you don't do that. It, the, the scripture is much more holistic. It would say if you believe something, then belief is something you live. Belief isn't just something in your head. Belief is something you live. So when the scripture says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's not just talking about an intellectual assent to a historical fact to say, I believe historically Jesus died on a cross and rose again. That's not the kind of belief that they're talking about. Belief is, I have, this, I have an intellectual assent that yes, this did happen within history, but that it also affects the way I live. I adjust my life to this truth. And this is important because I think sometimes in the church, especially more the Western church, we have a tendency to kind of to, to sort of separate out what we believe and how we live. And this is called being a hypocrite. When you separate out what you believe and how you live, we're supposed to live what we believe. And if we live what we believe, then we will live with Jesus as our model. And if we do this, this gives us confidence as we go through this life. He says this then, in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we're like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. How many of you are a little bit nervous? Don't raise your hand. There's, how many of you have a little bit of fear when it comes to the idea of facing the judgment of God? How many of you have a lot of fear? How many of you are in that place where you're like, hope I make it through. I'm not quite sure I'm going to. We shouldn't live that way as Christians. We don't have to live that way. And one of the reasons why people will get caught up in trying to to do good works is because they're really functioning out of fear. They're not functioning out of love. 
They're functioning out of a hope that they can somehow earn their way into heaven, that if this whole faith thing fails, that they've lived a good enough life, that God will let them through. And there's a lot of Christians or people who go to church who go to church because they're hoping to appease an angry God. They're hoping that by showing up on most Sundays and doing some nice stuff and volunteering for Sunday school, that that's going to appease an angry God. And that is not the kind of God that we have in the scriptures. And that's not the kind of God that he wants to be to us. He doesn't want to be a God that we just live in fear of. Again, think about those of you who are parents. I think I know most of you well enough that you wouldn't want your kids to just live in fear of you. That you would want your kids to only be obedient because they are afraid of you. And for sure, there are some kids that that's how they grew up. Martin Luther, the German reformer, kind of grew up that way. And because he grew up in this way where he feared his earthly father, he feared being beaten by him, he feared being ridiculed and criticized by him, this fear transferred to understanding God, the heavenly father. And one of the things that, that Martin Luther, the thing that just like really turns him around and just kind of opens up his eyes was the idea that it is by grace you are saved. And when he understood that his heavenly father did not have the same character as his earthly father, Martin Luther's life completely turns around. And even though he was far from perfect, he contributes mightily to the kingdom of God and helping the whole kind of system of belief shift away from this angry God that we're trying to make happy through penance, angry God that we're trying to make happy through uh, various rituals and whatnot turns to one that's a relationship God. Again, the guy was far, far, far from perfect. But he understood this. And I think sometimes a lot of people are in this place of a little bit of fear of God because they're not sure what it really means to be in a relationship with him. And so John wants to point, clear this up. He says, if you love in this way, then this is evidence of God's Holy Spirit within you. And notice, he, people will have a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you have had some of it. You have this like outward manifestation. Uh, oftentimes, if you come from a more Pentecostal background, they'll talk about speaking in tongues and things like that. But that's not the defining aspect of God's presence in your life. It's do, does your life reflect the character and nature of Jesus? And before you just kind of write that off as some impossible standard to meet, read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Do you, can you find yourself relating to Jesus? Can you find yourself in that place of empathy for what he has empathy for? When he looks at the world around him, he says they're like lost sheep waiting for a shepherd. When he sees the fields, he says they're white for harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send those. Does your heart go out for that? Can you empathize with that? You know, this whole thing in Turkey, we've had people go, and I know that some people's questions were, well, why are we going and investing a lot of people's time and money and efforts into a primarily Muslim nation? Let the Muslims take care of the Muslims. Well, you know what's happening there? as far as the testimony I've heard from most of the volunteers that have come back, is that there's a group of Muslims called the Alawites who aren't being taken care of by Muslims. They're seen as outside Sunni Islam, and that's the most part where these Turkish churches are reaching into them. And they are Turkish Christians 
reaching into this situation, and they have an extraordinarily outsized voice at this time because they're the only ones trying to help. Help isn't coming from the mosques. Help isn't coming to this particular region of Turkey where the volunteers go from the government because they're seen as Kurds, and if you know anything about the political situation in Turkey, the Turkish government doesn't like the Kurds, and it particularly doesn't like the Alawite Kurds. And so these people are seeing love extended into their lives by this group of Christians. And when you go as a volunteer, if you go as a volunteer, you're doing a lot of grunt work. You're doing a lot of lifting and carrying and distribution because there's no one else to do it. And in this, we are expressing God's love. And if you don't think that that isn't making people's wheels turn in their head, why is it these Christians are expressing this and no one else is? then you're not thinking very clearly. It is making them think a lot. This is how we express love. And that's very much what God did. You know, Christ came into a world that didn't love him, as the scripture says that. Love, this is what love is. Not that we love God, but God loved us. He came into a world that wasn't ready for him, wasn't ready to accept him, wasn't ready to believe in him. And he just did what he had to do for us knowing that by his spirit and a few people that would get on board with him, that we could begin to see the character of God and it would grow. And it did grow. So the book of Acts, it's about the growth. So we don't have to live in fear, but we need to live in Christ. We shouldn't use grace as the excuse not to do anything. We shouldn't use grace as the excuse that, well, I'm going to live one way but claim to believe another way. That's an abuse of grace. Grace is there for when we fall. Because the truth is, none of us are as perfect as Christ. None of us are ever going to be perfect as Christ. Not in this particular uh, time in this temporal world. And there are going to be times that we are selfish. That's when we need the grace to get back up. There are times we're going to be difficult to live with. I always think it's weird for Cindy to be a pastor's wife, not just because there's a lot of expectations spoken and unspoken on a pastor's wife, but to live with your pastor. That's got to be a weird thing. Most of you kind of see me from the outside, and this is pretty much what you see. She sees the whole thing. That's got to be tough. Yeah, I think some of the guys with a little humility, you know, this is, this is probably not easy. She sees it all. And it's not all great, believe it or not. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and just kind of levitate off the bed and, you know, get caught up in the spirit. But in those places that we fall, this is what grace is for. It picks us back up. It tells us, don't lose hope. Just get back on that path and start walking again. Walking again. Living as the model of Christ. So that when we stand before him in judgment, God doesn't see us in our fallen and brokenness. He sees Christ's spirit. And that spirit of Christ. And in seeing that, he sees his own perfection in us and the reason why the apostle john just keeps coming back to this place and keeps getting deeper and deeper into it is because the church can be amazing the church can be amazing not just ibcd but the church can you imagine there's a billion people in the world that claim christ can you imagine what the world would be like if that billion there's actually more than a billion if those billion people lived without selfishness 
and live to express God's love into the world among each other as brothers and sisters and also out into the world who don't know him. What an amazing thing that would be. Throughout history, there are these little pockets of people that really go deep into living this way. And from the world's point of view, they very often suffer. But they are deeply impactful and inspirational. And that's what we are to be. Jesus suffered, but he was deeply impactful and inspirational. And we have to be able to deal with sin. Sin is essentially us being selfish. And when that selfishness gets into the church, the church goes off. The, it begins to have this kind of sickness within the body. And that was happening in the time of John. That's why he's writing this letter to the church. And that happens throughout history. But we don't have to be stuck there. Together we make up the body of Christ. But you also are the temple of Christ as an individual. If you deal with your relationship with God, then you will bring health into the body of Christ. And a healthy body of Christ can be a pretty amazing and impactful place. Everybody is important. How you live is important. It doesn't matter what role you have in the church. How you live it, how you live is important. And this is why we rely upon the grace of God, so that we can be what he desires for us to be more like Christ in his faith community and the world around us so we can be that witness. We can be salt. We can be light. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and we thank you for the depth that you go into with some of these concepts. And Lord, I know that for some of us here, this is still something that needs, is going to need to be heard again and again. Because it is hard for us to get out of ourselves and out of the definition of love that our societies give us, how maybe our families made it, gave it to us, maybe even how we've learned it in churches over the years. But Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us each to understand love the way you want us to understand it, that we would see it, we see it in Jesus Christ. And if we want to really understand how it is to love, what it means to love, that we would see you. And as we read the Gospels, and I pray for all of us here, that as we read your word, and particularly as we go back into the Gospels and we read about the life of Jesus Christ, and we see that life being expressed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, different, different angles on the same life, that we would see in it the fullness of what it means to live a life of love. And Lord, we pray also that you would help us to love our brothers and sisters. It's sometimes hard. Sometimes it's easy to say we love, but it's hard to like. Or sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, I love them, I die for them, but I really don't want to spend any time with them. And I totally get that. And Lord, just help us to overcome those places of hurt that sometimes we carry around that makes us want to protect ourselves from each other or those places of selfishness. We just don't want to have our lives disturbed by another person's life. Whatever it is, however that selfishness expresses itself, Lord, help us to get over ourselves. May we die to self. May we be born again. May we be live alive again in Christ. And may we be willing to live this out daily as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.